0: In today's world of smartphones, tablets, and instant internet access, there are many things that we can know. If we have a computer, we can Google any question and be assured that we will get an answer. We can ask Siri if we have an iPhone. We can ask Alexa, a virtual assistant, like the question, how many protest marches are there in the United States? Or what is the number of positive COVID cases in Indiana? But if I really want advice. I want to go to an expert, someone who has marched in a protest or a police officer who has been around the protests, or I can talk to a nurse or a doctor or a person that I know that has had COVID. I would want to talk to the people who have had the direct experience, that really know what it's like. There's informational knowledge, and experiential knowledge. We are in a No Greater Joy series. Our first week we looked at joy's perspective. Last week we looked at joy's power in humility. And today we will be discovering joy's knowledge in Philippians chapter 3. Knowing Jesus Christ is knowing joy. First, knowing Christ exposes his false teachers. Verses 1 through 3. Paul writes in Philippians 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The dogs in this passage, he's talking about are of the circumcision. He calls them mutilators of the flesh, the Jews. But, but typically, the Jews would call the Gentiles dogs. The dogs in this passage, instead of being companions or household pets, they are not the type of dogs that you would bring to a drive-in church. Most dogs in the ancient world were scavengers, feeding on garbage and filth, fighting among themselves, and menacing people. To the Jew, these canines were despised and unclean, just like stray dogs. Paul's false teaching opponents snapped at his heels and followed him from place to place, barking their false doctrines. They were dangerous troublemakers. These false teachers were adding a type of legalism to the Christian gospel. They thought it was absolutely necessary for Gentile converts to be to to convert to Christianity to become circumcised and observe the Jewish Old Testament law. In effect, they were teaching that one must become a Jew before one could become a Christian. By calling them dogs, Paul used a term of reproach and contempt that the Jews commonly use for referring to non-Jews or Gentiles. A group of Jews in Paul's day attempted to distort the gospel by adding the requirement of circumcision plus faith in in Christ as necessary for salvation. Today, you got to ask yourself the question, what do we or what do I add to salvation as a man-made requirement that truly isn't part, isn't a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What false teachings tempt you? Knowing Jesus exposes false teachers, but second, knowing Christ exposes human pride, like we talked about last week. Verses 4 through 11, human pride is what keeps people from a personal relationship with Christ. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul gives his resume seven characteristics that set him apart, specifically as a Jewish leader. Notice, again, he talks refers to himself as a Pharisee, the separate ones. They had an overwhelming concern with the externals, and it led almost naturally to a neglect of not only the weightier parts of the law, but also of the inner man and matters of the heart. The resultant hypocrisy Jesus describes was about a people who honor the Lord with their lips while their hearts are far from him. In verse 7, Paul writes, "...but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." He considers his loss versus the profit of knowing Jesus. His return on investment was unbelievably, unbelievably good and great. He counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ he's calling it garbage but he's really saying that it's it's all going into the toilet is basically what he's saying is that he's flushing it down because he c- considers it nothing now this is something that he had taken pride in but look look ahead in verse 9 Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Christians are the spiritual ones who worship properly, directed by God's Spirit, rather than relying on the external rituals and rules. Christians glory or take pride, but not in anything they do. Christians boast and glory only in Jesus Christ the good, obedient one who fulfilled all the law. And then in verse 10, Paul writes, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what it means to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It involves much more than repeating facts concerning Christ or the Bible, knowing Christ is an intimate relationship with Him that changes your life. Paul's longing to share with Christ comes through strongly. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. In everyday living, Paul maintained that his life and the lives of his readers should reflect the difference that Jesus Christ makes. This last week we've heard about white privilege. Paul had Jewish privilege. Paul had it going on. And all Paul wanted to to know is Jesus Christ. What fleshly qualifications do you have that tempt you to put confidence in them? We, We see that Knowing Christ exposes false teachers. Knowing Christ exposes pride. But third, knowing Christ expresses godly motivation. Let's look at verses 12 through 16 this chapter. Our number one motivation should be the desire to know Christ personally and deeply. Paul writes, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because... Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider what I have that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The human brain weighs only three pounds. It's about the size of a softball, and yet with it, we have the capacity to learn something new every second of every minute of every hour of every day for the next 300 million years. God has created us with an unlimited capacity to learn. What that tells me is that we ought to keep learning until the day we die. Leonardo da Vinci once observed that the average human looks without seeing, listens without hearing, touches without feeling, eats without tasting, inhales without awareness of odor or fragrance, and talks without thinking, but not da Vinci. The quintessential Renaissance man called the five senses the ministers of the soul. Perhaps no one in history stewarded them better than he did. Famous for his paintings The Last Supper and the Mona Lisa, Da Vinci trained himself in curiosity. He never went anywhere without his notebooks, in which he recorded ideas and observations in mirror image cursive. His journals contained the genesis of some of the most ingenious ideas, a helicopter-like contraption he called an orthopter, a diving suit, a robotic knight, while On his deathbed, he meticulously noted his own symptoms in his journal. That's devotion to learning. 7,000 pages of da Vinci's journals have been preserved. Bill Gates purchased 18 pages of that journal for $30.8 million a while ago. It comforts me to know that Paul realizes that he never arrives. None of us ever arrive. We all need to press on toward maturity and perfection. A fact of the Christian life is that the more you mature, the more you realize how much further you have to go to become like Christ. Verse 13. One thing I do. Paul is laser focused on one thing. In the movie For the Love of the Game, Kevin Costner played Billy Chapel, a pitcher that was at the end of his career and and At the end of the movie, Billy Chappell is pitching the perfect game, a no-hitter, and in that moment, he says something I never heard before, clear the mechanism, And, and it causes him to focus. It blots out all of the crowd noise, and he focuses on pitching that last pitch. We need to be focused on knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do we know him? Let's look at verses 13b and 14. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Intriguingly, The quiet eye, or clear the mechanism, appears to be particularly important at times of stress, preventing the athlete from choking at moments of high pressure. It may even lead to the mysterious flow state. The same laser-sharp focus can help doctors maintain their focus as they perform surgery, and it is of increasing interest to the military. Kinesiologist Dr. Joan Vickers, began to suspect the secret of extraordinary performance lay in the way that elite athletes see the world. She hooked a group of professional golfers up to a device that precisely monitored their eye movements as they putted. She found an intriguing correlation. The better the player, the longer and steadier their gaze on the ball just before and then during their strike. Novices, by contrast, tended to shift their focus between different areas of the scene for shorter periods of time. The general idea that you should keep your eye on the ball is well known, of course, but this suggested something more intricate with the precise duration of the gaze correlating with an objective measure of sporting success. Researchers cautioned that we should be wary of assigning too much importance to the quiet eye, Many other factors will contribute to sporting genius, but it would certainly seem to be a key component of the extreme focus of athletes. As followers of Christ, we are responsible to live out or put into practice what we've learned. We are not perfect, but there, that is no excuse not to run the race and seek the prize. God is calling us to the victory stand. We must run as hard as we can to cross the finish line. What goal are you absolutely determined to accomplish in your life? How does this compare to the goal towards which Paul pressed forward? Knowing Christ exposes false teachers, exposes human pride, expresses godly motivation. And fourth and finally, knowing Christ exposes reckless living. Let's look at verses 17 through 21. Paul here cautions us to avoid reckless living that can sabotage this godly pursuit. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with mindset set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In verse 17, Paul seems pretty cocky. Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. People are watching you, seeing what you do, how you react, how you live. As a senior minister, I have never had so many people watch me so closely. I have to be very careful what I do and what I say. Never realized that as much as I do now. Verses 18 and 19 are sad but true. There are many enemies of the cross of Christ... Their end is destruction. They are selfish and serve their own desires and glory in their shame. According to an article by the Associated Press, a small number of bluegills are kept in a tank at, at the bottom of a city's water treatment plant because they are highly attuned to chemical imbalances in their environment. When a disturbance is present in the water, the bluegills react against it. If, if the computerized system of the treatment plant detects even the slightest change in the bluegill's vital signs, it sends out an email alert. Bill Lawler, the co-founder of the corporation that makes and sells these bluegill monitoring systems, said, Nature's given us pretty much the most powerful and reliable early warning center out there question is, what is our spiritual early warning system for contamination of reckless living? Paul, as he wrote this, had in mind Greeks and Romans who threw off all restraints and lived very sensual lives. Their emphasis was on the physical and the material. These people were called antinomian Gnostics. They were against the law as they were against any rules or laws. They wanted to live in complete freedom of any restraints on their physical desires. They thought they could separate what they believed from what they did, and that is impossible. The real question is this. Is there a God who is the source of all beauty and glory and life? And if knowing Christ will fill your life with his goodness and power and joy so that you would live with him in endless ages with his life increasing in you every day, if that's true, you wouldn't say things like, you mean I have to give up blank or blank or blank or I can't do that anymore? Let's say that you have a friend who is dying of some terrible disease. So you take him to the doctor and the doctor says, I have a remedy for you. If you just follow my advice, you will be healed and you will live a long and fruitful life. But there's only one problem. While you're taking my remedy, you can't eat chocolate. Now, what if your friend turned to you and said, forget it, no chocolate? What's the use of living? I'll follow the doctor's remedy, but I will also keep eating chocolate. That's what God is saying to us through Paul. Paul concludes in verses 20 and 21 of this chapter, and here's our hope. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables Him to Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul concludes with our hope and reward, which is glorious. Who are you imitating, following as an example in Christ? And who is following your example as a Christian? And where is that example leading them? Can you recommend that someone follow your example? Why or why not? Christ exposes false teachers, pride, expressing godly motivation, and exposes reckless living. We began the sermon by saying there was informational knowledge and experiential knowledge. I want you to ask the question, how well do I know Jesus? Augustine once wrote of God, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. A deep relationship with God through Christ is the deepest desire locked up in the heart of every person. Focus entirely on knowing Him and fulfilling His will for your life, and you will know the greatest joy in all the world. Again, ask yourself, do I know Jesus? You may know about Jesus' claim as God's Son. You may know about the credit Jesus is given as having died on the cross and rising again three days after, after, and that life with God in heaven, after this life is only through Jesus. You may know about his humanitarian heart and stories of of his healing power, but until you say, I believe all that to be true, and I accept Jesus as God's son, and believe I can only be right with God through Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection, you don't know him. You continue to know about him, but he wants you to know him. My, my hope for you today, if you're a Christian, is to get to know Jesus better. Not just know about Him, facts and verses, but to truly know Him and live Him out in your life, that He transforms you. If you are far from God and never confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, that's what you need to do today. To know Him. To come to know Him in a relationship. It doesn't all, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens a little at, at a time, like any human relationship. But knowing Jesus comes through knowing the gospel, coming to know His Word, fellowshipping with fellow Christians, and and worshiping Him, having the Holy Spirit whisper and talk to you and live in your life. I would that you would make a decision for Christ today. Will you pray with me? Dear the Father, we thank you for this day and for this time. And Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. We thank you that we can know Jesus through your word, through the gospel, and that we can respond to him and confess him as Lord and Savior, to repent, to be baptized, to live a life that is worthy of the calling, that we never arrive, but we press on toward the price, and that, Father, we look forward to our citizenship in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.